Hey y'all, it's Leah D. I'm a black woman millennial from Cleveland with a heart for storytelling. I found great purpose in exploring my own roots and those of my family. To share those stories with others, I've started to record many pod episodes entitled Legacy Talks. The first volume features none other than my oldie. Those that have known me for two minutes or more know that one of my main characters in my story is my granddaddy. I was raised by my maternal family only, and because of that, my mother's dad also subbed in as my own. He's 80 now and my best friend. I call him my OD and Jest. He retired from the city of Cleveland when I was a teenager. So most of my foundational views of the city of Cleveland were shaped during an era where my granddad's alarm clock would sound off around 4 a.m., waking him up for first shift. I'll always envision him in his green uniform with his buttoned up top neatly tucked into his pants. But more on that later. In this episode, we pick our convo back up in 1959. Granddad made the decision to drop out of East Tech in the 11th grade and start adulthood a year early. We'll begin with his recollection of his first job. Settle in and let's continue on the journey. Listen up. I dropped out in the 11th grade. Oh, I worked with daddy. Uh, he was a plumber and stuff and handyman. I worked with him because he was laid off at the time. And uh, finally he knew a, a, a white man at the Independence Dry Cleaners that gave me a job. That was my first job, making $35 a week, which was decent money, in, I guess, in those days. A non-educated 17-year-old, I guess. While I was still trying to wrap my mind around $35 a week, I wondered about my grandma, granddad's little girlfriend at the time. (laughs) $35 a week couldn't have been enough to cover their dates and outings to the Playmore. So I asked, where was grandma in all this? Turns out school wasn't the only thing he'd made up his mind about. He was going to school after I got the job, uh... I went to uh, get my Aunt Geneva to co-sign to get, get uh, her wedding, engagement and wedding ring. She co-signed for me and uh, I bought uh, her engagement rings. So I asked her, would she marry me? She said, yeah. This entire story tickles me, especially Granddad getting his aunt to co-sign for a ring and band. They were 17 and 18 years old. But anywho, she says yes, and not too long after, things quickly pick up. They get engaged, and soon after, they get married. Oh, yeah, one more thing. By the time they get married, Grandma's five months pregnant with their first child, my mommy, Deborah. September the 17th, 1960. I had on a tux, a white and black tux. And your mama had a pretty wedding gown. It was a pretty wedding gown because three people got married in that dress. Your grandmother, Emma, and Mildred's daughter. So I don't know what dress probably gone now. <laughs> oh, the wedding was good, you know. We had people at the house and they congratulated us and, and uh, 
One thing about the wedding, pastor wouldn't marry us to six o'clock. I don't know why to this day. He said, we can't get married to six o'clock on the head. And at six o'clock on the head, that's when he started uh, doing the ceremony. And uh, after that, we left because we were having the reception on 82nd Street off Wade Park. Because Dad didn't use the lady there and she agreed to let us use her house. And it was a lot of people there. Yeah, it seemed like everybody on Kinsman was there. Yeah, a ton of gifts and money. I've only seen one photo from my grandparents' wedding day. It's black and white with granddad and a head full of hair in the tux he described. And my grandma is in a lace white gown with a matching headpiece and veil. Much later, when I was a child, my grandma had Jerome White, very talented local artist who also happens to be a relative of ours, turn the photo into a sketch drawing. It's the graphic I used to promote this episode. Today, that framed portrait sits on a bookshelf in my family room. Many people are sometimes confused when they see it, but quickly realize it's my grandparents. And in fact, not a portrait of me and my husband. The portrait means a lot to me, clearly. So it's crazy that I'm just now learning more about the day the photo was taken. But better late than never, right? The story of their wedding day is detailed. Funny and sad all at the same time. I shortened much of granddad's comments about it. But in short, they had a small ceremony in a family friend's home on Kinsman. My great-grandmother arranged the reverend to officiate. As you heard, no one quite understood the 6 p.m. rule, but they went along with it. Then they head over to a hall on 82nd Street for a reception. There were lots of guests and gifts, but my granddad's dad, the parent he'd been raised by for most of his childhood, couldn't attend because he had to work. So my granddad's grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, is the only parent there for my granddad at his wedding. And thank God he was, because he collected all of the monetary gifts on their wedding night. The next day, after a night of celebration, my grandma and granddad get up and go back to the hall to collect their gifts, only to discover that they'd been stolen. But they had bigger things to focus on. Since my mom was making her way into the world very shortly, they worked on getting settled. First things first, where were they living? On the uh, 75th and Kinsman, an apartment. It was an apartment house there. My daddy rented it, and after we got married, he moved out and said, uh, y'all can stay here because I'm going to move. He moved with his girlfriend, Lily. And we stayed there until after Deborah was born. And they said, uh, Oh, Mary, go check and see if you <coughs> get an apartment in a, uh, Garden Valley. She went and signed up and uh, brought Devil's birth certificate. And we got an apartment on the third floor. We moved in by March of 61. And we had a new stove, new refrigerator, and all the trimmings of the project. <laughs> If you haven't caught on by now, Granddad giggles at himself a lot. <laughs> I suspect thinking back about early years and how different things are today provides him some reflective humor. I do know that many of you may be taken aback by his use of the phrase project. 
But the beauty of me recording his journey is that he does it in his own voice. And Miles Hackney isn't naturally using more socially acceptable terms like public, low income, or subsidized housing. He says project, and that's what I'm keeping. His story, his lived experience, his language. I do, however, find it wild that my grandparents and my mom, who was only a two-month-old infant at the time, were a part of one of the first waves of families to move into Garden Valley. There's been so much written about Garden Valley that I encourage you to explore. Books and articles and thesis papers about its origin, its multi-phase construction, the environmental injustices embedded in its conception, and the role it played in overall housing segregation and discrimination for Black Clevelanders. It's must-know history. When my grandparents moved to the third floor on East 79th, Garden Valley is only about four years old, after the first phase was completed in 1957. And while Garden Valley grew, so did their family. After my mom came both of my aunts. Noreen was born in Garden Valley and Antoinette. Shortly after Antoinette was born, uh, uh, I was working for Stouffer's Frozen Food on 30th and Woodland. And a friend of Mary called him called me and asked me that I want to go put in an application for DuPont Chemical Company. And I did, and I got a job at DuPont Chemical Company, 1966. With the new job at DuPont Chemical Company, you know, the notoriously harmful chemical plant with a legacy of harming their employees and neighboring communities with environmental toxins. Yep, that one. Granddad's income exceeded the limit set to stay in public housing. So, the young family of five moved. We moved from Garden Valley 117th in Union. I had a friend named Brownlow, and he said, Miles, you need a house. You your family growing. And I said, I do. I can't afford no house. He said, yes, you can. So he said, come on by. I came over, and I looked at the house, and the houses, and the model homes, and that's where we picked out the split level. They toured the model home on the second to last street off Tarkington Avenue. A development company had just finished a dozen of new houses, and the area was open to new black homeowners. An important note to mention, because, you know, redlining. I asked Granddad if he remembered the day they moved in. January 18, 1969. It was hectic, because it was snowing. Well, no telephones out that end. My daddy and Johnny, they were drunk. And we was trying to, Skeeter came. It was horrible. <laughs> we seemed like it was too big because we didn't have furniture. Eventually, she made it a home and uh, we did all right. As they settle into their new home, then came their youngest, my uncle, Miles II, or Milesy, as we all called him. Miles born, my son, my only son was born 1971, 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm 29 and married 28. Pause. 28 and 29. That's it. In 10 years, my grandma delivered four kids. Whew. But back to the story. They're facing 30, fairly new homeowners, raising their little ones in new territory. I asked Granddad, how did they adjust to the new neighborhood? It was fun for us because there wasn't nobody on the street for years, but uh, 
two families. So they had the houses built, but uh, the company we had, they had went out of business, filed bankruptcy. Metropolitan Housing finally bought the homes there and moved in people from the projects that were supposed to be qualified to start buying the home. This is a good story, right? Because the developer went bankrupt, CMHA acquired the homes and began moving families in who could afford to keep up the mortgage. And in came the families. And for my mom, aunts, and uncle, and even my grandparents, in came lifelong friends. And they began to have fun. But I'll cover one of the biggest ways they spent time as a family and with their new neighbors for the next episode. And nope, I won't even give a spoiler because if you know, you already know. But as we close out this portion of his story, Granddad reflects on his marriage. I was married 44 years. It was companionship and love. My wife and my best friend. You don't get that often. We was childhood sweetheart. We was married in our teen, 20s, 30, 40, 50, and up to 60. That's a long time. I asked him if he had any advice. Here it is. Find the right one, marry and, and work at work at keeping each other happy. It's gonna be good days, it's gonna be bad days. But the good days are I'll do the bad. But the good days outweigh the bad. It sounds like solid advice to me. This episode was great medicine for me, and I hope it was for you too. But I feel compelled to say this. Something my granddad said that's not heard here in this episode was that he wishes his wife had been able to explore the world as an adult. Up until 1971, she'd been a homemaker, pregnant on and off again for most of her late teens and 20s. And that stuck with me. You hear about my grandma, Mary, but you don't really feel her in this episode. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2004 and isn't here to tell her own story. But if you know nothing else, please know that my grandma was my entire life. She lit up my world and she loved me so strongly. I'll never, ever forget her. Her voice, her laugh, her essence. She was strong, smart, resilient, and didn't back down from anyone. She was outspoken, outgoing, and the best hand dancer I'd ever seen. She was so stylish and creative. She had deep bonds with her girlfriends and spoiled her children until the day she died. One day, maybe I'll work up the courage to do a whole volume of mini pods just on her. But until then, just know she was much more than just my granddad's wife. Her life and her career mattered. It was rich, and I miss her every single day. Hearing about my grandparents' origin story, moving from Garden Valley with $35 a week to a newly built split level in Lee Miles, Lisa Ville, makes me smile. It makes me proud. The house my granddad speaks about, he still lives in today, and he doesn't plan to go anywhere. He raises four children there, and they raise me in it too. And these days, my four-year-old son runs the place like it's his. And in a way, it is. It's ours, a part of our legacy. All right, y'all. Until next time. Okay, well, next time we record the podcast, you can't chew tobacco. I didn't know we was going to do this again. Yes, you did. That's why you came over here. I said I didn't know we were going to do it again today. Well, you can't chew tobacco and be on the podcast. You're right. 
you gotta pick a struggle. 